Hi, I'm Andrew, and this is the Daily Keenon podcast about today's global crisis. The coronavirus pandemic is dramatically disrupting not only our own daily lives, but also society itself. This show features conversations with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers about the deeper economic, political, and technological consequences of the pandemic. It's the daily podcast trying to make long-term sense out of the chaos of today's global crisis. It is the morning of November 9th. We're back to normal. The election's over, so we can go back to regular life, or what at least seemed to be regular life in the COVID crisis. A couple of weeks ago, we had my old friend Poe Bronson and his co-author Arvind uh, Arvin Gupta on the show talking about their a new book about uh, bioethics and then the biotech revolution called uh, Decoding the World. It was a great interview. And uh, Poe, who has a marvelous sense of humor, compared genetic engineering to a cooking show. Uh, today, this is, uh, we, we are returning to genetic engineering, if not cooking. Um, my guest on the show today, uh, Eben Kirksey, is the author of a new book called The Mutant Project, uh, which is a, a, a journalistic narrative. I think it's a, a travel book, a science book, uh, a current affairs book about this search to genetically modify humans. Uh, uh, the, 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 the sentence or the three words that I picked out of the book, CRISPR generates mutants. Uh, Eben, um, Explain that. How does CRISPR, and you might define what CRISPR is, how does, what's the relationship between CRISPR and mutants? Well, for starters, thank you for having me on the show, Andrew. And I really love your intro talking about cooking because really, you know, CRISPR does kind of look work like cooking. Um, you know, uh, when I learned how to uh, cook with it myself, I, I took a course at the NIH and Basically, you know, what the lab work actually looks like is a bunch of pipetting work. So you, you have this pipette with a tiny little amount of liquid, and you just got to get the mixture right. Um, so what you can do with CRISPR is basically dial up any part of the genome. And it could be the human genome, it could be a pig, you know, corn. People are using it in all, all kinds of, of forms of life. And what it does really well is break DNA. So DNA comes wrapped in a double helix. You, you know, Watson and Crick discovered that in the 1950s. And, and really, ever since the 1950s, people have been dreaming about creating genetically modified people. But it's it's happened now with CRISPR. Um, two babies were born in China that captured headlines. Um, the book is a deep, deep dive into the story of their birth. But on, on a technical level, after you mix your chemicals right and, and hopefully don't, um, you know, put bubbles in the reagent or, you know, put the wrong thing in at the wrong time, um, you get a tiny little break in the DNA double-stranded double helix. And what you're trying to do is get the cell to botch the repair job. So a mutation is unpredictable. You know, a lot of people talk about gene editing, as if you could type a sentence on your computer. As if we could be doing this, uh, as if we could be doing this on my on my video or audio software, Evan, right? Yeah, yeah. We, no, it, mutants as we speak, you and yeah, I, the, find ourselves. But would that, what would that come out as? Right. I mean, the, the idea of, of editing, you know, implies that 
things are neat and clean. And, you know, if you make a mistake, you can easily fix it. But mutations are, are ambivalent. You know, they, they can take out the gene, you know, if you're trying to knock out, destroy a particular gene, which is what they're trying to do in this controversial experiment in China that produced two baby girls. They probably knock the gene out. But, you know, you could produce some unintended damage. Unintended so, so damage, ambivalence, and of course the great master of ambivalence and, and unintended consequences is Bob Dylan. I often quote him on my show uh, in, his, uh, in his new album, um, Rough and Rowdy Way. He has a wonderful song called My, o my Own Version of You, in which uh, Dylan gets into the cooking or the crisper game. He says, I'll take the Scarface Pacino and the Godfather Brando mix it up in a tank and get a robot commando. If I do it upright and put the head on straight, I'll be saved by the creature that I create. Dylan, of course, is not the first person to get into the literary CRISPR game. Uh, uh, Dracula, of course, um, no, sorry, Frankenstein was the, the 19th century version. Uh, the more contemporary version is X-Men. Why do you think this idea of mixing humans up attracts so many song makers and writers and actors and, and Hollywood studios, uh, Eben? Well, really, it's, it's a foundational modern project. You know, but once upon a time, we all had these mythologies about, you know, God, the father that created us. And now, you know, there's this idea that we can take the tools of biology into our own hands and engineer human futures. And, and that Dylan quote was great. You know, you're, you're talking about, um, you know, creating this this uh, uh, robot commando, you know, make, making this creature. Um, when I learned how to cook with CRISPR at the NIH, uh, the instructor showed us this video of this young boy um, in Romania who had ripped muscles, like uh, one of your yeah. former governors in, in California, Arnold Schwarzenegger, this, this tiny little, little four-year-old, five-year-old kid just flexing with muscles. And the instructor said, you know, if you want to create a kid like this, just knock out the gene for myostatin. So, so there's certain things that we can do to, you know, alter the human condition that will have predictable effects. But, you know, the kid might, might be super strong, but he also might have problems. So yeah. um, you know, things are unpredictable when you start monkeying around with, with these DNA sequences. Speaking of monkeys, Evan, yeah. Um, and in your book, you talk about... and. and Whilst it's amusing, I guess, for you and I to talk about it, uh, it, there's also an element of both tragedy and farce. You you cite some of these uh, some of these characters who 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 can have sticks and pins stuck into them and not seem to hurt, but then it comes out in other ways. Um, Eben, your book is in many ways a, a travelogue of your search around the world trying to understand the, the, this, this race, I guess, what well, you call it, the global race to genetically modify humans. And like all global races these days, it really begins and ends in China. I, don't, I think America is, is, is secondary at best in this. Um, in Poe Brunson and Arvind Gupta's book, they also use China as the kind of wallpaper to their narrative about understanding the future. Uh, Poe began the book in Pudong, a new city in China, which he calls No Ghost, No Joke, a city that seemed to have shot up overnight. If there's a central place in your book, it's Shenzhen, um, the, the, the huge city uh, uh, just overlooking Hong Kong. What is it about Shenzhen, uh, Eben, that... Um, 
makes it in many ways the heart of the of the CRISPR narrative, or at least of your book. So Shenzhen is, is where these two babies were produced, Lulu and Nana. And that, that idea that you had there on the screen, Shenzhen speed goes back into the 80s. So Shenzhen emerged really quickly. So you had skyscrapers going up in the 80s faster than anywhere else on the planet. So this idea yeah, of Shenzhen... So it's like Pudong. It's no ghost, no joke. Shenzhen speed. These places just appear. They're almost like genetically modified, if not human beings, cities. Right, and, and aspiring towards the future itself and very much embracing these, these frontier technologies, these disruptive technologies. Shenzhen is like the Silicon Valley of China. And, and the story I tell is, is one of, uh, you know, the government is basically supporting this innovative project, but then following the outcry about these genetically modified uh, babies, they, they back off. Uh, eventually, Dr. Ha ends up in jail for, for going too fast. Support for this podcast comes from W.W. Norton, the independent and employee-owned publisher of The Light Ages, the surprising story of medieval science. In The Light Ages, Cambridge science historian Seb Falk takes us on a tour of the scientific and technological achievements of the Middle Ages through the eyes of one 14th century monk. An enlightening history the Light Ages by Seb Falk argues that these times weren't so dark after all. Available wherever books are sold. Let's go back to the, the, the central narrative in your book. This, this doctor who in many ways was a kind of a, a pirate CRISPR researcher. Uh, you go back to the village where he was born and I found some of the more interesting parts of your book to be a description of him and his background. Tell me a little bit about this doctor who, 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 who is the heart. Dr. Huh. Not <laughs> close to Dr. Who, but yeah, a little different. Um, so, so Dr. Hu's story is a story of rags to riches. You know, he's, he's living the China dream, which in part references the American dream. You know, he was born in this tiny little village. I got to meet the family pig. And, um, you know, this is a village that didn't have electricity when he was born. And Dr. Ho was a young man when he did this experiment. He was 34. Um, he, he was born in, in the 80s. And, uh, you know, he watched as elec electricity came to his village, as, as roads came. Um, he, he was born really um, outside of modern medicine. He, he didn't go to the hospital. Um, his mother had a difficult birth and he came out with an umbilical cord wrapped around his neck. Um, but yeah, it's it's really amazing that somebody like that, um, who had no reproductive medicine at birth, goes on to become um, someone doing a, a really disruptive uh, innovation on, on the frontiers of how people reproduce. And, and tell me about um, not only the doctor, but these twins, these baby girls that were born and the controversy about them. Yeah, so the two girls were given pseudonyms at birth, Lulu and Nana. And with Dr. Ha's signature announcement on YouTube, he claimed that they were healthy, as healthy as any others, and that they just had a single gene modified or, or deleted. But in reality, when he recorded these videos for YouTube, these twin girls were in the hospital. They were in the neonatal intensive care unit. And, you know, my, my story about their health at birth, and this hasn't been reported before, um, 
you know, this story has profound implications for the future of, of CRISPR. You know, to, to use CRISPR in a reproductive clinic, you're going to have to go through IVF. And it's, it's unclear at this point if those girls were seriously unwell at birth because of the known problems of IVF or the known problems of CRISPR. You know, everybody's clamoring to create genetically modified babies right now, or, or at least like that's, you know, a popular, a popular, you know, way that people have talking about CRISPR, designer uh, and, babies. And, and uh, there was a New York Times piece, which I, I just showed on the screen uh, about um, uh, unwanted changes in the embryo. Is this the, the heart of the, the controversy and the problem with these twins? Well, right. There's uh, there's all sorts of things that can go wrong, as I said in the beginning, when you try to to edit genes with CRISPR or do gene surgery. You know, you can create unintended damage. So we we don't know enough yet about the health of these two babies, and you know, we don't know if this is going to be a good idea going forward. Uh, the the tool simply isn't well known enough yet. So a paper just published a few weeks ago showing that a whole chromosome was deleted when uh, somebody tried to, to modify uh, a, a single gene with CRISPR. So, you know, this, this tool can be very unpredictable. So, you know, there's, there's all this um, hope that, you know, Brave, Brave New World is, is uh, gonna be ushered into the clinic with, with this tool, but, you know, it, it probably isn't there yet. Well, it certainly is Brave New World. I think, um, I, I think that this, this confirms Huxley's fears about too much science and not enough philosophy. Um, the issue, of course, of the the twins and of the embryo and of the male, quote unquote, scientist, uh, also uh, brings up the issue of gender, which you focus on in the book. Um, two uh, two female scientists recently won the Nobel Prize. Uh, for, for chemistry, Emmanuel Charpentier and Jennifer Doudna. Uh, Doudna features in the book. Uh, what's her role in your narrative, Eben? Eben. So, so in part, her role is, um, you know, as, as a pioneer of, of CRISPR, and in part, the story is about who gets to count as a pioneer and, and who gets to count as a pariah. So some of the dominant narratives about Dr. Heijan Kui, the, the guy who did this experiment that produced two babies, are that, um, you know, he was an outsider, that, that he was, um, you know, not really in, involved in collaborations with others. But Doudna um, had had a relationship with Dr. Dr. Ha. You know, well before this experiment, um, she invited him to a conference in Berkeley. The opening scene of my book is, is Doudna and Dr. Ha sit, sitting on the couch in, in a hotel in Hong Kong as, as the, the controversy at the, emerged. At the Meridian Hotel. It's a hotel I've stayed at. Very nice place. Yeah, it's, it's a very... Very, very swish uh, hotel over, over Telegraph Bay, big cargo ships uh, going out there. And, um, you know, as, as we all gathered to speak at the summit, to talk about the ethics of using CRISPR, um, to talk about broad philosophical questions about, you know, issues related to science and justice, you know, who gets access to the cutting edge tools of, of genomic medicine, you know, we were all surprised because he had already done it. So the book unfolds from that moment and kind of looks at CRISPR and its possible uses going forward. Evan, in, in, in your book, do you think you conclude that in this global race to genetically modify humans, we have the same problems of gender and race as we have in the real world, in the world of the 2020s? 
Sure. And, and you know, you mentioned the X-Men in the beginning. And the reason I, I engage with the X-Men is to think about eugenics. So the X-Men opens with this, this scene at Auschwitz, the first movie, and, and you have this young boy being torn away from his parents. And, you know, this grows up into being the supervillain Magneto, who's really concerned about, you know, eugenic tendencies of, of humanity. So, you know, there's there's incredible pressure to become normal. There's, you know, incredible um, racism that we experience in the world. So, you know, the Nazi death camps are an example of eugenics that we know really well. L literally, that means eugenics means good genes. And, you know, CRISPR could be used to, to produce a new era of eugenics. And, and eugenics itself uh, is, is a deeply controversial subject. You mentioned uh, the double helix. Uh, Dr. Watson himself is an enormously controversial figure. How... Uh, it is a complicated subject, Devin. I, we, we can't cover everything. But do you think you emerged out of this book more or less optimistic, more or less fearful about um, about this this CRISPR initiative, this, this race to genetically modify human beings? Are you more or less an alarmist now, having read, having written the book? Well, I, I would uh, uh, talk about one of the key people in the book, a, a guy named Jay Johnson, who's among the world's first edited people. He, he's an African-American healthcare advocate who lives in Philadelphia. And he, like many others in his community, have been hoping for a long time for an HIV cure. You know, it, it, the science isn't there yet, but one day it might be there. And Jay is insistent that if, if we can get good medicine for this disease, that you know, political advocacy going forward can get that medicine to the people. But one of the central problems is who can afford it right now? The, the first gene therapies are being brought to market and their price tags are upward of 400 grand. You know, that, that, was, that was the first one. Now we have genetic therapies on the market for 2.1 million. So, so the question really for me, the fundamental ethical question is not, should we modify our DNA, yes or no? I, I think there's some, some amazing things that can be gained, but um, you know the, the question should be reframed as you know who who to enjoy these benefits and and who gets to decide what counts as normal. You know who who gets to to decide which gene should be eliminated in the name of of an upgrade and what counts as the new normal for the human. And you suggest, I think, and, and this is unavoidable, is that ultimately who gets to decide the governments? Your book, as as I said. Um, a lot of the narrative is in China, goes backwards and forwards between China and the United States. There's been a lot of talk about the need for the U.S. and China to work together on gene editing. Again, you don't, I don't, you don't need me to tell you that we have a new chapter now in U.S.-China relations with the election of, of Joe Biden. Do you think or see or argue that on this CRISPR front, which obviously is enormously important. We can joke about Dracula and X-Men, but this is a real thing that is going to change the whole history of the human race. Is there a need for the US and China to work together? And is that realistic given the, the nature of early 21st century uh, geopolitics? Well, scientists are already working together. So at the China National Gene Bank, um, I, I was at the grand opening ceremony where, where they had distinguished biologists from Harvard, from uh, London, from Edinburgh, and there, there already is collaboration built into this, this field. And I think a key difference between China and the U.S. is the amount of, of money that's being uh, invested in, in this field. So in China, 
you've had historic levels, billions of dollars every year, tens of billions of dollars. And the U.S. right now is considering a, a similar plan, trying to catch up with China with the Endless Frontier Act that, that Joe Biden really could push into law. It's, it's planning to spend $100 billion over the next five years to invest in frontier technologies like CRISPR. But I, I think, you know, there's really for the Biden administration to bring some of their promises about social, economic and environmental justice together with these new technologies. There's there's, you know, a, a chance that these technologies could just create a new era of medical inequality. You know, these new expensive treatments that no one's going to be able to afford. So, so I think there's an imperative not only to do good, innovative, collaborative science, but also to build principles of social and economic justice and, and to the research programs. It sounds to me, Eben, as if you are articulating the beginnings of a cyborg manifesto. That's how you end your book with uh, another Californian woman, Donna Haraway, based in Santa Cruz. Why do you end with Haraway and your um, and your focus on a, on a kind of cyborg manifesto? So Donna Haraway wrote the Cyborg Manifesto in the 1980s, and this, this was a, a, a feminist uh, project of, of reclaiming science and technology, seeing how it might be used to, you know, um, do interesting political things. And, you know, ultimately, uh, Donna Haraway is asking us to think about what kinds of risks we might be willing to take ourselves to enable new futures to emerge. So, you know, she's less interested in the healthcare applications of, of CRISPR, but asks, what would it be like to modify yourself so that you could better understand a caterpillar? She she imagines that you know we might have um, sense you, you know these sensory antenna coming out of our faces that let us taste and smell and touch and feel the world like a caterpillar. She points to the ways that human industry and science is creating a catastrophe for um, you know insect communities, key pollinators that sort of keep us alive. So. She's, she's inviting us to think about imaginative features for humanity that aren't just about being normal, but that are in, in, you know, embracing these new experimental risks that we can take as a species. So much to think about. Really rich conversation, Eben, and a, and a very rich, complicated, but extremely entertaining book, The Mutant Project, Inside the Global Race to Genetically Modify Humans. I think a great introduction to this enormously important and complicated subject. Uh, I know, Eben, you're uh, just outside Washington, D.C., in a, in a house you built uh, during the COVID crisis. As I said, everyone should read your new book. What else should people be reading, do you think, in these strange so, times? So one of the important books of our time is this one, Social Life of DNA by Alondra Nelson. Um, it's, it's in many ways allied with my book, but looking at ways that we could do an anti-racist genetic science. She's, she's looking at ways that we can think about reparations for slavery using genetic evidence. Um, also, Natalie Porter's viral economies is really timely right now. You know, uh, Porter is, is looking at ways that avian influenza disrupted uh, the, the world uh, of Southeast Asia, you know, a, a decade uh, ago. And, and the lessons we might learn going forward, how uh, projects of development often end up creating new risky situations where new diseases might emerge. You've been listening to Keynote, hosted by me, Andrew Key. Make sure to join us the rest of this season as we explore how to fix capitalism. Make sure 
to visit us at lithub.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. While you're at it, if you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would also help too. Today's episode was produced and edited by Justin Alvarez and the team at LitHub Radio. See you next week, and thanks so much for listening.